All right, good morning, everybody. This morning, if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 39 is where we'll pick up where we left off last week. While you're turning there, I'll just go over our schedule. Next Sunday, after or during the 11 a.m. service, is our children's Christmas program. Uh, December 24th, that Saturday at 7 p.m., Christmas Eve, we'll have our candlelight service, 7 p.m., December 25th, Christmas Day, Sunday at 11 a.m. will be our service. We will have Sunday school, but there will be no 9 a.m. service. December 30th, or then December 28th is our midweek. There's no midweek that day. Uh, that's a Wednesday, December 28th, no Wednesday service. December 31st, Saturday, 6 p.m. to midnight is our New Year's Eve party. And then January 1st, that Sunday, New Year's Day, Sunday, 11 a.m. service only. And that's with Sunday school, but no 9 a.m. service. So join us or sleep in or whatever you want to do. Enjoy yourselves. Uh, we'll, but we'll be here in case you need us. So that's, uh, that's our upcoming schedule. We'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Um, there is a lot here. And um, we're so thankful for your scriptures. Um, we... we we know that and we give thanks for that often, um, but even, even especially in today's teaching as we see how important it is to rely on Scripture for doctrine as opposed to um, our words or man's words, which can get us off. And nothing wrong with us speculating, we know, and guessing and all that, but it needs to be um, filtered through God's Word, through your Word. And um, when our words don't line up, then our words need to go. So we thank you again for your word. We can rest on it. We can rely upon it. We can trust in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, as we left off with Mary receiving the wonderful news that she was going to bear the Messiah, we see the prophecy being fulfilled of the virgin shall give birth. Um, We didn't go into great detail about those prophecies or what that means some of the doctrines that are debated today and don't need to be, I think we'll prove them today. It seems like great men have debated these things for <laughs> centuries, and yet it's so plain in Scripture. Um, some don't believe in the virgin birth. Even Protestants uh, don't believe sometimes in the virgin birth. How can that be? And they base their opinion based off of the definition of virgin. It can be young maiden. It doesn't necessarily mean someone who has... Um, not had intercourse. Um, But that's not what we go by for the virgin birth. It's not that word. That's That's not the singular issue. The issue is that Mary says, how can this be? I've never been with a man before. That's the issue. And that's how we know it's a virgin birth. The word of God states that she has never been with a man. And the Lord answers that through the angel and says, the Lord will overshadow you. Their firstborn child will be from the Lord by the Holy Spirit, and therefore we know it's a virgin birth, regardless of the definition of virgin. makes no difference. She said so. So the debate is foolish, but because we don't have that, what we'd say um, consistently, sola scriptura, where we believe the scripture is our only source for doctrine, Um, and that varies between denominations, that's how we get off on funny different issues and and misunderstand and don't let Scripture interpret Scripture. Well, we'll have that here again today. In the second part of Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 39 is our beginning point. 
And Mary's Magnificent will hit another portion where we need to really trust Scripture and not get off on strange doctrines. Verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now that's our first break already, but we realize why she's going there. She had just heard that along with her news, the comfort and the encouragement the angel gave her was that um, Elizabeth is having a baby too in her old age. So if there was anybody that was going to understand Mary's wonderful proclamation from the angel, it would be Elizabeth who received something similar. Now Mary or Elizabeth is six months along and Mary says, this is a good time for me to go visit. Now she travels 80 to 100 miles, which isn't much to us given the fact we have vehicles, but for them, that's quite a trip. Um, you know, we have some people probably in this congregation that have never left Missouri for, you know, or the Midwest in their lifetimes. This is not, not, not interested, even though it's very simple to hop on a plane and in three, four hours, you could hit a coast, you know. So imagine this, Mary saying, I'm going to travel 80 to 100 miles just to go see Elizabeth. There's a reason, you know. Um, there's some confirmation that'll come from this. Not that she needs it. She's already believed the Lord at his word. She's already trusted in God and the angel's message from, uh, from the Lord. Um, but it would be nice to go visit Elizabeth to you know, celebrate with somebody. I'm not sure everybody understands. When Mary accepted this uh, gift, this beautiful blessing, she accepted a huge burden as well. Uh, a burden that only she and the Lord get to celebrate. Um, and Joseph eventually, but um, for now it's just her. But Elizabeth, her, her cousin, that'll be the one. You know, that'll be the one that can understand. So she heads out there to go visit um, them during this time. Verse 41. Then it happened when, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. So this is a surprise visit, by the way. You don't get to let everybody know through a text, hey, I'm coming, you know. This is uh, showing up, and she says, Elizabeth. And when she heard that greeting, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, which was a prophecy that was given to Zacharias in the temple, wasn't it? They, not only Elizabeth being filled with the Spirit, but that the baby would be too. And we see this fetus inside of the womb, receiving and acknowledging the spiritual things of life, fully aware and fully responding to the things of God, uh, which puts to rest any idea that these are a clump of cells or that they're not a baby until they're born, which, of course, um, is one of the debated issues today. Um, but it's so clear and so obvious from Scripture um, where we stand or where we should stand as Christians. It's not even an issue. Um, so this baby leaps at the sound, at the, at the acknowledgement. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now this is a prophecy. As far as we know, Mary's not told her anything. You know, uh, uh, Mary got privy to Elizabeth's condition, but Elizabeth, in, uh, all she's heard, honestly, from Zechariah, her husband, somehow, some way, I don't know if he just wrote it all down or what, because he can't speak, remember, is relaying to his wife the promise. Can you imagine that? That'd be a really tough, tough thing to tell your wife of old age, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, what are you talking about? You know, you've been in the temple too long, you know. Um, too much incense or something. I don't know. And, 
And she's trying to, so and here's the thing, you know, you don't talk about it. I don't know that I've ever taught it before, but Elizabeth has believed what her husband told her that God told him. As far as we know from scripture, that is the, um, that's the, that's the situation. Isn't that amazing that she just trusted it? What you received a vision, you know, you, you received something from the Lord. I believe it. And he didn't even believe them. And he's the first person to get the message. And she's getting it secondhand and she just believes it. What a beautiful woman. Um, what a wonderful woman of God. Of course, she's hoping for this too. Maybe it was a little easier for her to believe. She's like, you know, yes. Uh, finally, the reproach is taken away. Anyway, she's prophesying here. She wasn't told about Mary's condition. She gets this leap in the womb and she gets excited. She knows that the, the, the one in her stomach, the one in her womb is uh, being birthed for the purpose of making way for the king. So she knows something's going to happen. So when this babe leaps, knowing the calling on her baby based off of Zacharias' prophecy that he received from the angel inside of the temple, she's like, the fruit of your womb, you're the one, you know, they're here. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's amazing prophecy. That's amazing uh, trust in God. That's amazing. I mean, these folks are on board with God's call in their life. I mean, they're all in. They're, they're, you don't see any questioning. You don't see the, okay, okay, did you hear? You know, there's no confirmation needed. She just feels this leap in her womb and she says, oh, you're carrying the Lord, you know, and it's just just, just beautiful time. Now for Mary to hear that, Elizabeth and Elizabeth turns around and says all these things. Mary's like, oh, you know, confirmation, encouragement, someone who understands, someone who's not looking at me with that funny eye, you know, like sure, it's not, yeah, sure, it's miraculous, you know, it's not, yeah. She's gotten the looks already, I'm sure. Why is it that you've come? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb um, for you, for joy. Blessed is she who believed. Again, she believed. For there will be a fulfillment of the things which were told, which were told her from the Lord. Beautiful. She believed. Zacharias didn't, which is really our focus of last week, the, the, the difference um, between these things. Now, um, I don't know how I want to do these in order or not. Um, let me go through my notes and make sure I want to do it this way. Um, let me start with this. Uh, the contrast between Mary and Eve is too hard. I mean, too obvious to not see. Um, as Eve was the one who had to receive from her husband the promises of God because she didn't hear it directly. Remember, the only one that was told not to eat of that fruit in the garden was her husband, Adam. And so as Adam, as we assume, relayed that to her and she stands there and eats, that is a woman who's decided not to believe the promises of God. And unfortunately, um, I think we don't focus enough on Mary and the difference between these two and how the running gag for jokes, you know, in the ministry, we've got a lot of Christian church jokes is, you know, 
whenever something bad goes on the household, the men get to say, well, it was the woman you gave me, Lord. (laughs) Oh, that's really funny. After a while, it's not so funny. It's like, great. I mean, how much longer am I going to be the butt of every joke? Even though I know you're kidding, how much longer? And then we have Mary here who abs- and Elizabeth, who both absolutely believe the Lord at his word. It's not about women. It's not about Eve and Mary. It's about we've all been given a measure of faith. And one person acts upon it, and the other person didn't act upon it. That's the difference. Everyone in this room, men and women, because men, we can either be Abraham who believed God, or we can be like Zacharias and we don't believe God. We have the same problem. Both men were capable, both sets of women were capable of believing God at his word. One chose to and one chose not to. That's the difference. But everybody has that measure of faith, the ability, the capability, the giftings to believe God at his word by faith. Some do and some don't, men or women. And so we see these two women coming together. Of course, this is a part of the redemption story. What a beautiful redemption to see people trusting in the Lord. It goes against everything. You know, how can a fruit possibly cause death to come into my life? That doesn't even make sense. Well, how in the world can an old woman who can't have babies have babies? And how can a young woman who's never been with a man have babies? Faith, 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 trusting in the Lord. And we all have that. We all have that choice. And we need to exercise that choice. And when we stop, I think, and I think we do ourselves an injustice, we, we deny ourselves the blessing of walking by faith. When we won't walk by faith and we need one more thing from God. I'll believe you. I just need one more push to truly believe you at your word. You see? And I think it robs us. Instead, like Mary saying, I don't know how this can be, but let it be done to the maidservant of the Lord, just like you said. Let it be. That is complete submission to whatever God has for you. What a beautiful act of faith both of these women display for us. And Zacharias, he didn't mean to, but he gets to be uh, an example for us men as well. You know, Um, you can believe him or you don't have to believe him, but to believe him is to have the ability to praise God for what he's done in your life, you know. So Mary hears all these things and she sings a song. This is the song of Mary. It's often called the Mary's, Mary's Magnificent because of the third word here in the, the first verse of 46. It says this, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Beautiful. Mary will go on as we go through the next few verses up to verse 55 and begin to use Old Testament scriptures and pictures of the Lord. She knew knew the word. This young gal, if you want to translate the word virgin as young maiden, fine. She knew an awful lot of scripture for a young maiden. And she's able to string all this doctrine together without referencing the material, which is what I think is one of the most beautiful things and, and, and proof of someone who has God's word hidden in their heart and not in their head is when someone can just rapid fire, go through scripture and begin to pull out the characteristics of God and string them together in a praise song to the Lord. I think that's, that's someone who's experienced those scriptures and not just memorized them. There's a difference. And she does that. 
In this verse 47, she comes across a very important doctrine, and this is one of those things I wanted to touch on. I didn't plan on spending much time on this until this morning. That happens to me. I'll study and get everything ready in all my notes, and then something will trigger something. I'll, I'll go over that stuff again. I go over it again. I'm, oh, boy. And what triggered it for me this time, as Mary describes her sinfulness in that verse 46, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Savior from what? My sin. Of course, the immaculate conception comes to mind. And if you don't know what that is, it's an unfortunate doctrine that's crept into the church. Um, not necessarily Protestant churches, but sometimes it has crept in. Um, and oftentimes it's misunderstood. Immaculate conception meaning the birth of Jesus. It's not what it means. Immaculate conception as a doctrine is describing the birth of Mary as being sinless. And it came about, and you can understand, now these are smart people that came up with this doctrine. The idea was, how can you have a Christ child, Jesus, be born without a sin nature if half is human and half is God? Therefore, in order for that to work, we need to make Mary sinless so that we have a sinless human, and then the sinless God, and then therefore we have a sinless child. And so then therefore the immaculate conception. Here is the quote from Pope Pius uh, IX. The the blessed Virgin Mary to have been from the first instant of her conception by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God in view of the merits of Christ Jesus, the Savior of mankind, preserved free from all stain of original sin. And that was in 1854 was when that doctrine was introduced or at least expounded upon and um, made public. Um, and so then you'll go through towns and small towns and certain churches are named Our Lady of Immaculate Conception or things like that and Conception Junction and all these things. They're not talking about the conception of Jesus Christ. They're talking about the Immaculate Conception of Mary, which is a false doctrine. How did this come up, and why do I want to spend so much time on it this morning? Well, become, can you put that photo up for me? This popped up on one of our homeschooling groups that we follow. And it's a beautiful picture. I love the implication of it, if we could only see it from the knees up. The problem with this picture is that although the stake wrapped around Eve is appropriate... Under the heel of Mary, it is not appropriate. And we get to this place because, well, doctrine leads to thought, and thoughts lead to further thoughts. And we get away from um, the, the word that I used before, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote it again, sola scriptura, where scripture is the only place that we get doctrine from. I love the idea of this, though, from the knees up. You Don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful picture of Eve being comforted by Mary, and it brings tears to my heart. It's very emotional. And if not checked, I can get emotional about the whole thing, and now I look at Mary as the redemptress. It's a very dangerous thing. False doctrine leads to more false doctrine. In fact, in Central America, there are churches that have Mary on the opposite side of the cross, crucified with Jesus as co-redemptress. 
One thing leads to another. Now, I don't want to fault and I don't want to focus on these things especially. It's very important to just move on and celebrate Christmas. And that was my intent this morning. But when this pops up on our homeschooling page, I'm like, and this is classical education where we don't question and we don't challenge what influenced education back in the day which we need to do constantly. Every generation needs to look at what they're doing and improve upon and build upon the last generation, I believe. Let God purify us generation after generation. But because now we've accepted this and it's inappropriate, what's the scripture? Let me read it to you. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. If we get our doctrine from scripture, we can understand why this can be such a dangerous heresy and lead us into exalting a woman above or equal to Jesus Christ as the queen mother of heaven. And she's not. She can't be. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit only. Those are the only deities we have anything to do with. We have to be very careful of this. Here's the, here's the passage. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. A prophecy about how this is all going to end. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to Satan. And between your seed and her seed, capital S, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, you will crucify him, but he will crush your head. And that's attributed to Jesus. It's not attributed to Mary. It can't be. So I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but it ends up being more more and more dangerous. Now, sola scriptura. Why is that important? Well, the church believes that scripture hasn't ceased being written. It isn't done. The book is not finished. And therefore the words of whoever's in charge of the current church, um, their words are also scripture. So when you have pious number nine stating that Mary was immaculately conceived, that's considered scripture. That's considered new scripture. It's considered doctrine. Okay. Fine. Boy, they got that wrong. Well, they've said a lot of things in the past that we know to be false and they know to be false and they've tried to backtrack on those things. So here's the next step then. If you do believe that scripture can be retracted because their word is as good as this word and you can retract the words of whatever pope, then you can retract the words of any here. So now you have nothing stable to stand upon. They've never said this is rock solid in the words of the next generational popes are okay and can be toggled between truth and false. And we can pull them back out of scripture if we feel like it. They've made them equal to the canon that we're holding in our hands. And therefore, if we can take their words away because they were way off on that, then we can take these words away. They were way off on that. And now we have no stability at all. You see the the problem with it. It seems minor. It's minor, but it's not. Follows to its logical conclusion, we end up with nothing to stand upon that there is no truth. Nothing that's concrete. Everything is subjective. It all depends on the person's interpretation as opposed to God's word being rock solid. Does that make sense? So I spent a lot more time on that than I wanted to this morning. I really did. Because it's like, come on, it's Christmas. It's important. This is the only time in Scripture where Mary says, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and we need to believe that. We need to believe that God used this woman 
the problem with immaculate conception is, so what if her parents, you know, or if you, she, how, could, how could God then keep her sinless but couldn't keep Jesus sinless? Why go back one generation? If that's the case and was necessary for him, wouldn't that be necessary for her parents and their parents and their parents? And now you've gone all the way back and we've got an entire line of sinless people. It doesn't make any sense. It's men trying, but when we lose sight of Scripture being the authority, men trying can't be put in check, and we just accept it because the guy with the white smoke said so, and now we're in trouble. We find ourselves in trouble. So it's not bashing this morning. I'm not bashing. I'm warning. We've got to stay solid with Scripture. We've got to let everything, my words, any man's word, be subject to approval from God's word. Okay, we can move on now. Thank you. My soul, let's go back to our beautiful song now, shall we? <laughs> my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. She's so happy for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And we do. What a, what a wonderful honor that's been bestowed upon her. Can you imagine? And what a beautiful thing. And give her all the, 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 the not accolades, just so happy for you, you know? So happy for, so blessed you are. For he who is magnified or who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She's just so thankful and she's worshiping and she's praising God as any Human beings should. She's praising God for the baby that's not born. She's praising God for the promise that hasn't happened yet, hasn't come to fruition, but there he is. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. It's a promise. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Of all people, he picked me, you know. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Beautiful. It says in 56 that Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house. Doesn't tell us why she stayed three months, but I think we can guess. If she showed up six months into Elizabeth's uh, um, gestation, pregnancy, um, we can see that she stayed three months until what? Until John was born, more than likely. You know, more than likely. We don't know for sure, but we can guess. And so when Luke writes this, he tells us everything all the way to 56. Now he inserts, I believe, 57 and the rest of this into what happened there. Um, at verse 56. So he begins to elaborate. He'll do that again here in a minute. But here's what happened. Now Elizabeth full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had showed, shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Now, I, uh, another, <laughs> another damp blanket or wet blanket for the, for the day. I apologize. But I'm so glad we've grown out of this. We've matured. We've done better. Back in the day, when a woman was about to give birth, they'd show up. 
you know, the day of birth or a few days beforehand with instruments and people and all the relatives and they're all waiting. But they're not waiting for the birth. They're waiting for the sex of the baby. And if a baby boy was born, boy, I mean, the instruments played and everybody clapped and everything. But if it was a girl, they all just kind of walked away. That was the historic. Can you imagine? See, that thought, that mindset um, is not from God at all. And we can see that even in our society today. Not necessarily in America, I don't think, but definitely in China, they're struggling with that. As they have the rule, you know, one baby, which they're changing, by the way. You can go to three now because their population is so decimated right now. It's absolutely, they cannot, they cannot keep up. Um, so they're changing their policy to three. But when it was only one, um, if it was a girl, oftentimes they didn't let it make it. They didn't let it survive is the idea because everybody wanted a boy child. Everybody wanted the one to carry on the name, so to speak. And so women were not celebrated and still aren't celebrated. Um, they're going to be tolerated now that they can have three, but it would be better to have three boys than three girls in their mind. Horrible and not biblical and not according to the mind of God at all and not scriptural. So when it says this, Elizabeth's full time came, it is a fulfillment of prophecy that everybody was going to rejoice at the birth of this baby. They did, probably for the wrong reasons, but there it is. You know, old age, hooray, I'm glad you had a baby. And oh, and it's a baby boy to boot. That was wonderful. You know, um, and they celebrated and they rejoiced. Now, I didn't mean to throw a, you know, a wet blanket on the, on the day, but that's, that's important. We have to continue this um, growth as a people. Um, um, the honoring that, the, and, the, and the liberation that Jesus brought um, to, to us uh, through Christianity. And anywhere the gospel touches, any country the gospel touches, the liberation is unbelievable. Um, and, 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 the, and the understanding and the equalization, it's, it's, it's wonderful where the gospel goes. Where it doesn't go, where it's not allowed, it, you, you revert um, or, or stay the same. Verse 59, so it was on the eighth day that they, I circled they because I don't like they. None of these days. I'm not happy with any of them. There's always those people. It's like the straw man argument, you know. That, well, you know what they say. Well, who's they? Well, you know, people, you know. Well, these people are real and these people are here in this story. They're not named. That's gracious. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. Now, no offense, but who is they? Who circumcises kids? Ah, it's the priests, it's the guys, it's the gang. We're here to do our, you know, do our thing. And they <laughs> would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother, the female in the room, who shouldn't be talking, according to them, no, he shall be called John. Now she is speaking up, not on her own authority necessarily, but she's heard from her husband or he wrote down or however she got the information that the prophecy was, his name's going to be John. I believe that. And he can't say it. I'm going to say it. His name needs to be John, not Zacharias. And they don't, they don't believe her. Can you imagine being the mother of the child trying to give your baby a name? And they're like, yeah, no, no, no. And they beckoned to John to confirm what this woman is saying over here. Oh. As a father of three daughters, this drives me crazy. 
But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who was called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have called, what he would have him called. Now, I don't know if you notice this or not, but they think he's deaf. They don't have to make signs. Zacharias isn't deaf. He just can't talk. Can you imagine how frustrated? For six months, people were like, Zacharias. You know, trying to he's like, I can hear you. I just can't talk, you know. <laughs> you want to call the baby, you know. <laughs> I said, just say it out loud. So they made signs to his father what he would have him call, and he asked for a writing tablet. He's been used to that. And wrote, saying his name is John. Some people think that was the first words that he spoke. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but he did ask for a tablet, and he did write these words down, and he put it up. His name is John, and that's when... He was able to speak. And so they all marveled. I love it when the they's marvel at what God does. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke praising God. He's not jaded. He's not upset that God punished him for not believing him. He's not saying, I'm not, it's about time I can dog. Now I want mac and cheese for dinner. I do not want, you know, whatever. <laughs> first thing out of his mouth, the first time he gets to it, he's, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to praise God for what just took place. He's not upset. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hills of the country of Judea, I bet. You know how the, 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 uh, the gossip vine here. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. That's beautiful. Um, so the first thing he does is praise the Lord, and now he gets to prophesy. And I don't know if the prophecy was the praise or what it could be. Luke is doing the same um, literary uh, thing here as he did earlier, as he finished Mary's. Uh, Mary was here all the way through 56, but she was also here for the birth. Who knows? Um, But anyway, this is what Zacharias gets. He begins to prophesy under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Here's what he said. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath, which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve uh, him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you child will be called the prophet of the highest For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through their tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Beautiful prophecy. Now, this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, this is how we know it was of the Holy Spirit, because he's talking about Jesus. He mentions the boy, but the father of John doesn't hardly talk about John at all, talks about the Messiah. 
The Holy Spirit always speaks of the things of God. He always brings glory to Jesus Christ, never to himself. And when the Holy Spirit is speaking, he's bringing glory to Jesus. In John 16, verses 12 through 14, Jesus promises the helper that will come to them. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He's going to take from me. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said to you, he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit speaks of Jesus always, and does so in this wonderful prophecy. Most of it's about Jesus and Uh, what John's going to do. John is going to be born with a mission. I think we all are to some extent. I don't know that all of us have accepted it or not, but we need to. Um, My mission on this earth is, and, and John's mission, I think, is our mission for everybody. John's mission is not to make his name known. Now, it will be known. They will, he will be known as John the Baptist, who makes way, makes the straight ways for the Lord to come. He'll be known. Everybody's going to, He's going to be a famous prophet in that sense, but he, he doesn't leave his mark on this earth for his name's sake. He leaves in Jesus's mark on this earth. That's the point of his life. His entire existence is to glorify Jesus Christ with his life. Whatever he does in life makes no difference. Wild locusts and honey, you know, wild honey and locusts, whatever, camel's hair, um, out in the desert, all the things that John was known for, it was all to bring Jesus Christ to the public, to let them know about him. We're all called to that. We're not called to our job and then be the Christian in that job. We're called to be Christians, and the job is what we do to make sure that we have enough money to make an indelible mark on this earth for Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. Every single person that's ever born is called to bring glory to God in their lives. That's what we're here to do. And the job that we have is a way for God to give us money and to keep us busy and to keep us working and to give us a sphere of influence, maybe. Maybe not, but that's where we're going to minister sometimes. But that's just to bring us so that we can do what we're called to do, which is to bring God glory. It's not a part of our life. It's what we are. It's who we are. We're all called to this. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation. Um, um, he stayed there uh, out in the wilderness, uh, just keeping himself unspotted from the world to some extent, but also hidden because it wasn't time. Until Jesus says it's time, it's not time. And until John says it's time, it's not time. But he waited and was prepared for what God called him to do. And his whole life is in preparation for this. It's what he's, it's what he's born for. Um, and he knows it and he's accepted it. Now, we're going to have communion this morning. And the guys are going to hand it out. Uh, appreciate you guys volunteering to do that for us. On the night that uh, Jesus was betrayed, they were having the Passover meal, and they had the bread in front of them and the cup. Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and handed it out to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to Thank you, Kim. Um, this is meant to remind you. It's a reminder of what I've done for you or what I'm going to do for you the next day. 
Um, but my broken body is for you. I want you to eat it, and I want you to absorb it, and I want it to affect every area of your life, just like this bread's going to do. It's going to go into every cell. You know, I want you to let me do that in your life. There's no part of your life that's off limits to me. I want to be in every aspect of it. Um, this is my broken body. You will not have to have a broken body. You won't see that second death. I'm taking the penalty for your sins. That same night he took the cup that they were drinking from, and uh, he blessed it and said, take and drink. This is the blood of my new covenant. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. The new covenant being that I'm going to pay the price for your sins. No more sacrifices, no more lambs, and they're not covering over. This is a complete uh, removal of all sin and all guilt and all shame from your life. And I'm going to do this once for all. Um, It'll never have to be done again. When we eat or drink these things, it's only as a reminder of what Christ did 2,000 plus years ago. Um, And we do that. We remind ourselves. You know, and I don't want to make uh, any more than what Christ made it into, but in a sense, this is our measure of faith. In the sense that when we do this, Paul says, don't eat and drink in an unworthy manner. If you know who Christ is and you know what he did and you don't believe that he died on the cross for your sins, Paul says you shouldn't eat or drink this because you eat and drink judgment to yourself. That's an unworthy manner. You're like, yeah, whatever. I don't care about Christ. Then don't eat or drink. That's a measure of faith you're not willing to swallow today. I don't believe. Paul then goes on to say, though, if you're an unbeliever, don't be an unbeliever. Be a believer. Be believing. Examine yourself. Let yourself be judged. Let your sins fall upon Christ. Let that take place in your life. Believe on Christ for your salvation. Then eat or drink in a worthy manner, knowing exactly what's taking place at the cross for you. And therefore, you are eating and drinking and believing. You're having that faith. God's given everyone in this room the ability to believe or to not believe. You can choose whether to take that measure of faith that God's given you and activate it today or not. I'd encourage you to do so. But I don't want to talk you into it. It has got to be your choice. But for those who have, we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the reminder that our sins are forgiven. They've been paid for. Past, present, and future sins have all been taken care of at the cross once for all. We never have to worry about that. Our salvation is secure in you. We don't have to wonder where our eternity is. We know that when we die, we will be with you because your word says so, and we, by faith, believe it. Just like Mary, just like Elizabeth, we believe you at your word. So we thank you for that this morning, and we celebrate it as we're reminded. Lord, for those that didn't know you but want to believe on you today, they, they trust in you now. Jesus, I believe in you. I know that you died on the cross for my sins, not just for the sins of the world, not just what the word says, but I'm experiencing it today for the first time. Forgiveness. Thank you for that forgiveness. Thank you for that grace and mercy that you've given me this morning. So I eat and drink in faith. I believe. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and all my sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for at the cross. And I am celebrating that. I am worshiping this morning. So God, as we eat and drink, we pray that we bring glory to you with our lives. We want to live for you. We'll do the day-to-day, the mundane, everything we need to do, but we'll also have our spiritual eyes wide open for the ministries that you've called us to, for the people that are in front of us, and to be, just to be your disciples, to be your followers in this world, that our light might shine wherever we go. That is our, 
That's our call. We accept that call this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for this morning. We pray you keep your word in our hearts. We're excited for this Christmas. We're excited for the whole season. And we just pray you help us to carry on in your Holy Spirit throughout these next few weeks, being just super aware, supernaturally aware of all the things around us and how we can be a blessing to each other at home, um, but also to those uh, in the world who, who aren't experiencing um, this beautiful Christmas like we are. But they need a touch of joy. They need that, that beauty that comes from this time, from trusting in you, from being our Savior, and that they might come to know you too. So we pray for those opportunities this week. Lord, bless these folks as they go today. Bless our, our week. In Jesus' name, amen.